2: Hey, gals, welcome back to Working Gals Guide. Today's episode is incredible. I know I say that about every episode, but I promise today is just a very, very special episode. So, today I have Nina Kristic as our guest. She is an award winning director and producer. So, one of the pieces that I'm sure you all watched and binged, much like myself, was The Last Dance on Netflix. I'm sure all of you binged it. I know I did during the pandemic. It's really just an incredible, incredible docu-series, and I know I fell head over heels in love with it. I couldn't turn it off. The episodes, as you know, if you watched it, are pretty long. I think they're between like 35 minutes, 45 minutes, almost an hour, but still me and my family were sitting downstairs watching the TV. We had episode after episode on. We could not stop watching it. I think the first day we put it on, we watched about three or four episodes in a row, and Literally no regrets. It was just so good. What I really loved about it was that the story was so perfectly put together. Even someone like myself, who is not a basketball fan, was able to understand everything going on, was able to be entertained from minute one to the very last scene of the very last episode, and really just want to go back and rewatch it, honestly, because it was that good. So Nina was a producer on The Last Dance, and she's also directed and produced a lot of other different films and docu-series and documentaries, including OJ Made in America. I know OJ Made in America is a very, very popular documentary, so if you haven't watched it, please go back and do so. Go search it up. You'll definitely find it. Nina and the team actually won an Academy Award in 2017 for that one, so... As you can imagine, it's just beyond incredible. So Nina and I also discussed her experience as a female in the entertainment industry, which, as we know, can be difficult being someone who is a female in any male-dominated industry. She takes us through the journey from when she started to where she is now and how she actually faced a lot of challenges and how she got through those challenges as well. Today's discussion with Nina was such a treat. It was just so wonderful, so insightful. And really, I was just honored to be able to just chat with her for an hour. So Nina, thank you so much for coming on. And everyone out there, if you're listening and you love today's episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Ratings mean absolutely everything, so I would appreciate if you took 10-15 seconds and gave us 5 stars, and if you have 30 seconds or 45 seconds, give us a nice written review as well. You can also follow us on Instagram at WorkingGalsGuide. All of Nina's different social media and her website will be linked below in the show notes. All right, thank you so much everyone for tuning in, and without further ado, here is the wonderful episode with Nina Christic. Hey, gals. Welcome back. I'm here today with the most exciting guest. I think everyone listening has listened or seen her work before. Her name is Nina. Hey, Nina. How's it going? Hi, I'm
1: well. How are you?
2: Good, good. Are you based in New York right now? Are you quarantining there?
1: Yep. Been quarantining since early March. It's lonely and uh, at least the weather is nice. So. Oh my <laughs> gosh.
2: Yeah. So you weren't one of those people who went out to the Hamptons or you know, no. somewhere else for a bit?
1: No, I actually live right outside of the city, Um, so I do have a tiny backyard, Um, so I feel like that's good enough. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, definitely. So yeah, I've been here since early March.
2: Oh, amazing. Well, you know what? I think it's something to say if you're one of those people who were in New York the entire time and really just pushed through the pandemic, because I feel like it's something that you're going to be able to look back on and be like, hey, I actually did this and I conquered it.
1: That's right. In general, living in New York is <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, once in oh a while, gosh. you'd have to stop and be like, wow, I did this. I lived in a hundred square foot apartment <laughs> for five mm-hmm. years.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, for myself, I live in Vancouver and we're in the suburbs. So it's a bit of, you know, an area where there's mm-hmm. bigger places and it's not so many condos, not so many apartments. And I don't really know how I would adapt to a smaller condo, but I feel like I do want to move to New York one day because I am so career-driven and I love that hustle bustle. So I'll yep. see one day if I'm able to to take on New York. But, you know, good for you for being able to stay there all these <laughs> crazy months. It's home,
1: so it's hard to leave.
2: Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Did you grow up in New York
1: then? No, I actually grew up in Europe. Um, and I moved to the U.S. when I was... 13 years old and um, moved to New York when I was 18 so for college. Oh, amazing! States. I've been here for over 20 years so I, oh, feel, that's like, awesome. I feel like I grew up here.
2: <laughs> yeah for sure well it's been quite a while but yeah that's awesome that you you know you grew up in Europe and you moved to New York that's a great uh, great story right there I'm sure. Well before we get too far into it if you don't mind just giving everyone a quick introduction about yourself and what you do.
1: Sure. Um, I'm Nina Kristic and I'm a documentary film producer.
2: Amazing. And all of you heard the introduction. I'm sure all of you, again, have watched some of Nina's work, including The Last Dance, which is on Netflix, and maybe even some other uh, pieces as well, such as O.J. Made in America, 99%, the Occupy Wall Street film. And the list really does go on, but I'm sure the latest one that all of you have just watched is The Last Dance, which I personally fell in love with I could not stop watching I was binging it my entire family was so into it we just fell in love with the entire entire series it was just so incredible so inspiring and great insight into of course that entire storyline right there
1: well thank you um it's really great to hear because it, it was a lot of work and you know a big chunk of our life um so to hear such a great response is really humbling and makes everything worth it
2: Yeah, for sure. And my family, we're very sports oriented. So growing up, we played a ton of sports, Um, you know, everything from hockey to lacrosse to running cross country track and field swimming, the list really does go on basketball, we didn't really play too competitively just with school, but even so just being some, you know, couple of, you know, You know, siblings and just my parents as well that just sat down and watched this like we just fell in love and just really identified with everything that was taking place during the actual series. And, you know, even though we don't watch basketball day to day, like we don't follow the NBA too closely. We Mm -hmm. still were like, you know what, this is the best thing we've watched, you know, in the last year, almost it was just so captivating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what makes the story great is that it's more about basketball. And it's more more than about sport, really. It's, you know, it's it has inherent life drama. So I feel like everybody can identify with it. So you don't need to know the, you know, ins and outs of basketball rules to follow the series. Um, It's, you know, a lot of fascinating characters and how they deal with competition and life and media and, you know, family. So Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody can identify.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I mean, it's a real testament to you and your team that we're able to go through all the different footage and pull out the different storylines. And that's what makes you such an amazing producer, obviously, is being able to go through all of that and really pull out the interesting parts and really put something together that, like you said, is easily identifiable to anyone, regardless if you're into basketball, into the Chicago Bulls or not, you're able to put this on and fall in love with the entire thing. And even go back and rewatch it. So again, amazing job to you and your team because you know I can't imagine how much work that was.
1: Thank you very much. Yes, it was a lot of work, and I and I think one of the things that you you're touching on a little bit that we were very conscious to do when we were putting the team together was to make sure that not everybody was a basketball fan um, because it's very easy. To think, uh, everybody knows the rules, and then skip over the important parts um, because your head kind of fills in the information. So we made sure we had people who were very knowledgeable about basketball, but we had people who weren't. Um, so as you know, for example, we had an editor who wasn't. So as he was editing, he had we you know made sure that he would edit certain sections which would mean that the audience who doesn't know basketball would understand it because if the editor understands that the audience is going to understand it. Um, so it was, you know, it was a very conscious choice from the beginning to make sure that, you know, a 13-year-old, Girl who's never watched a lick of basketball finds this as fascinating as a fifty-year-old basketball fan. So
2: right, right. And yourself, are you a basketball fan, or did you no? So I,
1: I, I was a Bulls fan. So like during the nineties, I watched you know the entire span of the series. You know, you know, up to ninety-eight, I watched the Bulls, and I was a basketball fan. And then since then, I have not been. I have not watched. lick of basketball since the 1998 (laughs) (laughs) NBA championship. So it was it was a kind of a great reintroduction. Um, So it's like I was kind of straddling both lines, whereas I knew the Bulls very well, but I didn't know basketball very well.
2: Right. That's so interesting. It's so amazing that you were a Bulls fan too, of course, getting to sit down with all this footage and put this together. And I'm sure you probably got to meet a ton of the different players and people involved in the team during that time too, which is probably just, you know, a dream come true and something you never imagined, probably in the nineties that you'd be doing, you know, in, in 2020, but that is incredible. And I'm sure that was just a surreal moment for you as well.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the perks of the job, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, not just with this, but with any film I've done, you, you get to meet so many people that you grew up watching on TV. Um, and then, you know, then they're in front of you and, and you kind of feel like a little kid again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you have to put that away um, and appear professional and not, you know, not just like a fan, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I think, but I think it helps you know us as filmmakers connect to the audience um, because you know the audience um, sees these people as huge stars. So um, it's always it's always good to sort of be able to bring your brain back to that time when you know you were watching Michael Jordan on the TV and you were trembling because you were so excited. Uh, you need that. You need to keep that feeling as you're making the film.
2: Yeah, definitely, and. I do have to ask, though. So, out of everyone that you met that were part of the Chicago Bulls during that time, who were you the most starstruck
1: by? Um, I'm am sorry, I'm thinking. Um, I think, I think out of the people that I met, and I did not meet everybody. Um, talking to Tony Kukoc was probably Mm. the most special to me because I grew up in Serbia and I used to watch him playing Croatia as a kid Um, so he sort of like goes back the furthest in my memory Um, oh that's
2: so interesting
1: Michael Jordan Um, so
2: yeah oh my gosh that's that's super interesting and I guess you were a basketball fan uh, back in Europe as well then and then that that love carried over to the U.S. when you moved Yes,
1: yeah. absolutely.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. And I have to ask as well. So how did you get involved with The Last Dance? Were you part of a team that pitched it to Netflix and ESPN? Or how'd that really come about?
1: Um, so Jason Hare, who's the director of Last Dance, approached me um, along with ESPN. Um, so um, I was not a part of the team that pitched it. So Mike Tolan, who's the executive producer of the series, um, Knew about this footage. Um, it, it's, you know, this 500 hours of never before seen footage from the 98th season. Um, and the problem is that the footage was never going to be made into a film unless um, someone had Michael Jordan's blessing. And Michael Jordan had, you know, up until two years ago, had not given his blessing. Uh, but he finally gave it to Mike Tolan. Um, And so then ESPN and Netflix jumped in. And then he hired Jason, who in turn contacted me. Um, So I had worked with ESPN on OJ Made in America. um, And uh, Jason was talking to Connor Schell, who's you know one of the ESPN executives um and Connor suggests that he contact me um so it's all kind of it's really all kind of a small family the documentary family we might not n- all know each other but we know of each other <laughs> yes <laughs> um so you know Jason also happened to you know was friends with Ezra who directed OJ so it's you know it's all kind of comes of comes uh full circle um mm-hmm. so I met with Jason um and you know, he sort of presented the plan for the series. And I just immediately felt his excitement. And I just, you know, once I heard about this 500 hours of never before seen footage, I honestly just could not say no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So everything else aside that in itself sold, sold the project for me.
2: Wow, that sounds so interesting. And I mean, the fact that they came to you, again, that's a testament to your skill and your production ability. So I'm sure, again, it must have been like the most giddy moment when they came to you. And, you know, being able to say yes to such a project, that's incredible. And I'm sure, again, the process itself was incredible, getting to work on it and seeing the actual footage and putting it together. And I'm sure it was a very challenging time as well, of course, but at the same time, still very rewarding.
1: Yes, it was it was everything. Uh I mean it was, you know, over two years of our life. Um it was incredibly challenging and incredibly rewarding and we had an amazing team and you know, honestly I've ne- I, I don't I've never worked um on such a team um, you know, before that, um and since. It's just we all came from completely different backgrounds and we all gelled um so well that I mean I think You know, no matter how challenging things got, um, you never felt alone, and you could always lean back on your team. Um, And that was probably, you know, the most important lesson um, I learned while making this.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's so interesting. And I feel like a lot of people listening might not have any experience in the entertainment world or production in general. So if you can walk us through a typical day as a producer, for example, when you're working on The Last Dance, is it nine to five, Monday to Friday? Is it much longer
1: hours? Is it more sporadic hours? Like, how does that work? Um, It's... Longer hours than nine to five, for sure, There really kind of are no hours, (laughs) which is good and bad. Um, You know, I, I, I guess for the last dance, we would all kind of try to be in the office by 930 um, and then, you know, leave around seven. But that's that's just sort of, you know, a basic sketch. Most of the days it was much longer um it's never shorter (laughs) yes um so and it's you know yes Monday through Friday we're usually in the office but we also often work weekends um because the research never stops the calls never stop um and you know we're all very passionate about the project and about the subject so it doesn't feel like work all the time either um so um yeah and and you know typical day for a producer really depends um a producer can mean a lot of things, um, so I'm just going to give you an example. So we had three producers on this project, uh, and we kind of divided up responsibilities um, because it's such a massive project. Um, you know, so one producer was in charge of booking all the shoots and contacting contacting all the people, which is a lot of logistical, um, you know, nightmares. Um, um, you know, how to get the crew in the same place uh, at the same time, um, you know, make sure whoever we're interviewing is wearing the right thing, um, you know, um, that the catering is done, you know, that the director knows where to go, um, you know, the location looks good, the, the director of photography is happy with the lighting, um, so it's just, you know, logistics, you um, Uh, Then we had another producer who managed a lot of the post production. So, you know, he worked with the editors, made sure that everybody was on the same page. Um, And then I did a lot of the footage organizing because, you know, there's over 10,000 hours of footage in the show. Um, so, you know, I worked with our APs to make sure that everything is where it should be. We acquired new footage up until the last day. So there was there's always an element of footage acquisition that happens every day. Um, we work with the editors. We would meet with Jason, um, the director, and, you know, sort of work on the cork board with note cards to try to organize the story because it's such a large story, Um, we would have meetings with the executive producers who would give us notes on the cut. I mean, the list goes on. There's really, honestly, no two days are the same. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's not a boring job. I can say no.
2: that. Oh, Yeah, for sure. It sounds so, it sounds so complex and it sounds like there's so many moving parts as well. All very yeah. exciting. Um, But yeah, it seems like long hours, of course, with everything you're describing. And, um, you know, it, like you alluded to the 10,000 hours of footage, which was probably so much to go through. And you mentioned that up until the last day, you had new footage coming in. Um, so just curious, and I'm not sure if you can even really disclose this, but in terms of getting that footage up until the last day or each of those days that you're actually working, getting new footage, um, where was that footage coming from? So why was it distributed, you know, you know, day to day like that? And how come it wasn't provided up front? Um, there's just there's
1: no way to get all the footage there is for a subject in one swoop. Um you know, it's, um, you might start editing a scene and realize that you don't have a critical piece of footage, um, but there's no way you would know you would need that footage, you know, the prior week before you would start editing the scene. So it's really, like, it's really a a moving target. Um, And I like to call, I like to say it's kind of like taming the beast. Um, And so there's never you never just have an outline that you follow and it doesn't change. Things change constantly every day. So on the last day, one of the scenes changed because it wasn't working the way we imagined it in our head. So we had to change it. And then we realized there was a piece of footage that we needed to make the scene better. Um, so there's no way we would have known that even the day before. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's why Uh, there's, there's, especially for a subject like this, there's an unlimited amount of footage. Um, And if you, even if you were somehow able to get it all, um, that's not very helpful because then you're just swimming in footage that you can't watch. Um, So it has to be a targeted practice um, versus just a big um, swooping get.
2: Yeah, definitely. No, that definitely makes sense for sure. And, um, you know, I do want to touch on the fact as well that The Last Dance did have so, so much positive feedback from a lot of the different fans that are really Chicago Bulls fans, Um, you know, NBA fans in general, people like myself who aren't, you know, an NBA fan but still were able to sit down and again love this were you and the team at all surprised by the amount of positive feedback or did you kind of expect it because you were putting it together you were seeing you know exactly how it was playing out when you were actually producing it and you could tell it was going to be an absolute hit or was you know there any element of surprise in the amount of positive feedback that came in
1: there was there was a lot of surprise and I think you know For a few reasons. You know, we knew it was going to be a well received show uh, because it's about Michael Jordan and everybody loves Michael Jordan. Uh, And everybody wants to watch more Michael Jordan. Um, You know, there's never enough of him. Um, And so, you know, we knew it was going to be well received, but, you know, we had a few fears. One was that, you know, non basketball fans wouldn't find it interesting. we you know we were we or we thought that maybe like really highly educated basketball fans would have seen all of this they would have found it boring so that's the other extreme um and so we just i feel like filmmakers always have fears and there's never and you're kind of working until the last minute and you don't really have time to di- digest everything you've done. Um, so you kind of finish, you hand it off, and then you cross your fingers and you, you just, you know, you you have a feeling inside of you, whether it's good or not, that doesn't mean it's going to be well received or not. Those are, you know, not always synonymous things. Um, so I think we were incredibly pleasantly surprised just by how much it blew up. Um, and you know how much it just permeated sort of every aspect of pop culture, um, and how it wasn't just a sports documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, you know, I feel like, you know, my grandma watched it. I loved it. Like that's amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. That doesn't doesn't happen all the time. So I think we will we were all very pleasantly um, surprised and amazed and and humbled by the overwhelmingly mm-hmm. positive reception.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think that The Last Dance will go down as a really important piece in pop culture. So it's amazing that you're part of that project and part of putting it together and having such a prominent role, you know, in this as well. Um, So I do want to take a step back, actually, and talk Mm -hmm. about your actual entrance into the entertainment industry. So in terms of that passion that you do have, and the, the really pursuit that you went after to have a career in entertainment, entertainment? Where did that passion come from? And where did that actual love for documentary filmmaking come from?
1: It's um, a good question. I, I actually, I have a kind of a roundabout way of getting <laughs> yeah. into the entertainment industry. So I, I um, did my undergrad in literature and um, creative writing um, and then just kind of took a few years off and did odd jobs um, as actually a software project development person, a project manager, should I say, Um, and just didn't quite know what I wanted to do. And I was doing a lot of photography, and I was doing a lot of painting, and I was doing a lot of music, but nothing felt, and I was doing a lot of writing, but nothing felt right on its own. and then I sort of realized that the one, you know, art form that puts all of these things together um, is film. Um, and so I actually went to, while I still had the software project managing job, I went to uh, night school uh, in at New York Film Academy to do a 16 millimeter film course. Um, and I just, you know, wanted to see if I really, Really felt the passion for it that I needed to feel, um, and I mean the answer was kind of obvious to me in five minutes.
0: I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast, and with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories.
1: I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed.
0: New episodes available now. Subscribe to the Perfect Scam podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon as I picked up the camera, that was the end. And then I actually went to grad school um, at NYU for documentary film um, and sort of changed careers that way, because uh, grad school is sometimes very helpful in, 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 in doing this career switch um, that I did. Um, and from then from then on I just I got my first job as a researcher for a PBS film um, and kind of went from there um, you know did a lot of work for American Experience um, which is a PBS station in in um, the U.S. um, and you know worked my way up um, until I was producer and then you know here I am. But it it was, you know, it was, it took 10 years. Um, Wow,
2: wow. Yeah, that's so interesting. And so the idea of getting into entertainment, was it ever almost there in the back of your mind as a kid? Or was it really not there
1: whatsoever until you took that course? It was there in the back of my mind. I just couldn't I, it's funny. It's like, I remember my mom saying from, from the time I was a little kid, like, oh, you should direct films. You know, you should be, you, you like, you have a mind for directing. I was kind of brushed her off, like, whatever, mom, like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so it was in the back of my head because of my mom. Um, and so, um, yeah, so, so it was a little surprising, but not once I started, once I, you know, started it, I realized it had been in the back of my head all along. Yeah. Uh,
2: Wow. No, that's super interesting how it all came about. I'm happy that it worked out for you and that you actually took the class. And then, you know, it's obviously blossomed into an amazing career and you've done so much in the past couple of years, especially. So it's really worked out so well. Um, But I'm curious as well. So, you know, going to school, um, you could have really gone a lot of directions, um, you know, with you know filmmaking um in general but you chose to really stay on the path of documentary filmmaking so where that interesting to where that interest i should say actually sorry come from to actually pursue that niche um instead of say you know tv or a different uh type of filmmaking instead
1: sure um well journalism has always been you know one of my passions um and and um used to work at the school newspaper etc so so to me there is um you know documentary is good documentary film is is a good piece of journalism um so it just is it was another way to um, use one of my passions um but also to me there's something magical about the way a documentary film comes together um because you can almost make a film about the making of every documentary. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that that's how interesting it is, um, because you never know what's the next step, and you never know what's ahead of you, um, and you always have to fly by the seat of your pants, uh, which makes it incredibly exciting um, and nerve wracking, and all kinds of things, but exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with you know a, a fiction film, you have a script. You know you have you have your sort of roadmap in front of you um, which is amazing in its own right because it frees up your brain to do other creative things but but to me the logistical problem solving of making a documentary is, is what really what draws me to it.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, that sounds incredibly interesting. And I like how you were able to connect it back to being, um, you know, part of that newspaper at school and being able to write um, for that newspaper and how journalism has really been, uh, you know, something that really is carried through to your career today in documentary filmmaking. And yeah, it sounds super interesting how your entire career really progressed and where you started to where you are now. It's definitely such a story and, um, you know, maybe one day you should write it all down and really just put it into a novel because I feel like it's super, it's super, um, I almost just want to say, again, interesting, but then also inspiring how you're able to capture what you really do like and what gives you energy and pour it into an actual job now and in a role that you're obviously so passionate about. Super cool.
1: Thank you. Uh, Yeah, thank you. I feel very lucky. Yeah, um, where I am because I really do love my job every day um, for, sure,
2: for sure for sure yeah so I do have a question though in terms of you know pursuing the entertainment space there is you know this um you know the challenges that we've all heard about and the pressures that may come with someone who is a woman pursuing a career in this space because of course it is traditionally male dominated so did you ever feel any of those pressures when you're first starting out or even now you know day to day in your actual role and if you have felt any challenges how are you able to address those and really
1: overcome those as well sure um so i think it's a, i think it's a very important question um and I I kind of, you know, have forged my own path, Um, but, you know, I didn't feel sexism um, at the beginning of my career, Um, and, you know, I just sort of happily went along, and I, you know, progressed uh, pretty easily, and I just worked hard, and, you know, I just, it, it was one of those things where I kind of, almost didn't understand what people were talking about when they said there was sexism sexism in the industry. Um, and then I got to be, you know, more advanced in my career and I got to be a producer and I got to be successful. And that's when I saw sexism. Uh, -hmm. so, you know, it's interesting. It's like, it's, it, it wasn't until I was successful that I, that I really started noticing it. Um, and I think there's a few reasons for that. And I think when you know we're young and insecure and trying to um, fight our way to make a you know career for ourselves, um, if we don't get the promotion or if we don't get the raise, we think it's our fault um, because we must have done something wrong. We don't think it's because you know I'm a woman or whatever. Um, but when you're successful and have a place in this career and have a footing in this industry and are secure and know what you're capable of and know what your reputation is and know and you know what you can do and you don't get the promotion or raise, et cetera, then you realize there's other forces at play. Mm-hmm. Um I also think, you know, and this is a little bit dark, but I think you know, it's okay, you know, for women to be in this industry, if they are, you know, or should I say socially acceptable for women to be in this industry, if they are in low positions, Uh, once they get to be high ranking, then all of a sudden people get nervous. Um, And by people, I obviously don't mean everybody. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I'm just talking about sort of a general standard. Um, You know, I've definitely walked into rooms full of you know, fifty-year-old plus men, all men, twenty of them, uh, to present something. Uh, I've definitely gotten suspicious looks. Um, I've definitely been called um, "little girl" um, when I'm there in in as a professional producer. Um, you know, I've been um, I've been sort of, you know, uh, quote unquote, put in my place um, because. You know, I must be emotional. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there's all, all kinds of um, things that I've been through as a successful producer, but, you know, in terms of, like, how I deal with it, I just I just look straight ahead and straight into, you know, people's eyes, and I keep being professional, and, and my work is going to speak for itself. Um, so, you know, I... Do I get angry sometimes? And yes, but I don't let that anger show necessarily. Um, You know, I just I just know that if I keep being confident um, and and you know doing good work, it's it's things are gonna get better. Um, And I will sort of one day, um, or should I say? And then I also keep mentoring young women. Mm -hmm. That's also something that makes me feel uh, better because, you know, I definitely had mentors that helped me through all of these things. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's difficult. It's getting better. I think. Um, I think people are really thinking about having women, you know, in editing positions, having women in directing positions. So I feel like, you know, Producer is a little bit more traditionally female role. Um, And I feel like people are starting to challenge that, and it's refreshing to see.
2: Right, right. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that you had to go through some of those challenges. Um, But like you said, the fact that you're able to push through, show them what you can do with your work, and let that speak for itself, and then also be able to mentor other women that's amazing. And the fact that you're still you know, pushing ahead, you're still going, you're still working on amazing projects. You're really out there showing women what they can do and the type of roles that they can have, even if it does happen to be in, again, a traditionally male dominated field. Um, and it's amazing that you've risen so high in the actual, I guess, quote unquote, ranks um, and still able to hold your own and be confident and again, produce amazing pieces. I do have a question though, in terms of, you know, having more females involved at that higher level, are you seeing any sort of trend towards almost just having like a, again, quote unquote, token woman in some of those roles, just so people or production companies or, you know, projects in general can just say they had a woman involved or inclusive of diversity, or do you think it really is genuine a lot of the times that they're involving these individuals?
1: Um, I think I, it's hard to say. I think in on my teams uh, uh, in the recent years has been completely genuine. Um, I'm all. I've also reached a point in my career where where I can pick and choose who I work with. So you know, of course, I'm gonna work with genuine people. Yes. Um, is it? Oh, is there always the case that it's genuine? Probably not. Uh, but I think I think it mostly is. Um, or I hope it mostly is, should I say, mm-hmm. um, it's it's hard to tell. And I feel like it's one of those things where time will, time will be able to tell, you know, like we will see where we are in this industry five years from now um, and see if we have truly progressed or if we have just put in a few token women in high power positions and called it quits.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really happy that, you know, there has in the last couple of years been a lot of movements and a lot more um, energy, I would say, being put towards being inclusive to women in the workplace and a lot of the different movements taking place as well. And I'm happy that it is being brought to light and individuals like yourself are able to come out and speak about it and, again, speak about the challenges you had and, also, because I just feel like a lot of times people don't understand it's taking place still. It's almost like, oh, that was something that happened 10, 15 years ago, but not today. Um, or they just don't realize because they haven't experienced it themselves. So it's always good to hear those stories and just become educated. So thank you for sharing.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and I do just on a positive note want to say that um, I had a baby while I was producing The Last Dance. Um, oh. And I couldn't have been better supported as a new mother than I was, um, on this team, uh, which was, you know, all men, by the way. So there's definitely positive stories, um, in this industry. Um, we just, as I said, it's like, you know, we just, we just have to find them. We have to make sure, um, that we find the right people to work with.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it's so good to hear you had that experience and congratulations, by the way, how old is your, your kid now?
1: She's 13 months.
2: Oh, amazing. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, that must have been hard, though, balancing, you know, the pregnancy and having a newborn as well as uh, the last dance, of course. But how were you able to balance that then? <laughs> I have no idea.
1: Yeah, uh, it was. No, it was extremely difficult. Um But as I said, you know, I literally had all the support in the world. Um, And it was just, you know, I was there for a year before I took three months off um, to have the baby. So I, I, me and my team already had a language, um, you know, and and we already sort of had an outline of what we were going to do. So it was kind of easy to just let them take care of it for a few months and then step back. And easy is the wrong word, but um, it was, (laughs) you know, easier uh, since we already had an, uh, you know, uh, established language going. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it was difficult because when you make a film, it is like your child. So I felt, you know, like I had (laughs) two children, um, one being born and one being made in the edit room. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, um, I almost, it just gave me perspective too. And I just really felt so lucky to be part of such an amazing team. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure. You had a couple of amazing things to celebrate at once. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I do want to talk about one of your other films as well, uh, Qualified, which is, you know, centered around a woman overcoming sexism um, in a certain industry as well. So, you know, your draw to actually working on Qualified, was that because you had experienced some of those things in the past and you really wanted to work on a project that was bringing things to light and also perhaps going to bring it to the viewers and show them, you know, women can do anything um what was that was that the thought process behind taking on
1: that project? It was definitely a part of it uh, for sure um, you know i think I think the number one part was that it was just an amazing story and 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 jana Guthrie um, is an amazing character, so as filmmakers you know it 's just kind of a dream come true um, but yes, definitely i mean I think you know me and my team also thought about the fact that women are so underrepresented in sports films for no reason. There's so many great female sports stories. Um, And so we really wanted um, to be able to tell, um, you know, a sports story centered around a woman um, and broadcast it on, you know, a sports channel like ESPN, um, just to show the world that there's many more stories where that came from. Um, You know, we just, we sort of, tend to focus on men only when it comes to sports, and there's really no reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that was a part of it. We also, I think, all um, definitely connected with Jan, what Janet Guthrie went through. Um, and she was very similar, you know, to what I spoke about earlier in the podcast. Um, she had very similar feelings where she didn't really feel the sexism, until she got to be successful. Um, And then people were like, well, wait a minute now, you can be a successful race car driver. No, no. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But you know, but if you want to be an amateur race car driver, like on the back roads of Long Island, that's Mm -hmm. fine. But you can't, you know, you can't be a part of this industry. Um, So yeah, there was, we we were all, uh, we all connected with this story for myriads of reasons. But I think primarily we really wanted to tell um a sports story that centered around a woman yeah for
2: sure especially I think because it did take place um you know it was the mid-70s right that it took place in Yeah. yeah and at that time that really wasn't something that um you know was very you know it wasn't as accepted I think now we have people like Danica Patrick and Even she is still just one out of a large pool of males. But especially back in the 70s, I can't imagine what a difficult challenge that would have been for someone um, at that time. So it's great that you're able to take that story and really make a film out of it. Because I'm not sure if a lot of people knew
1: who she was prior to that. Yeah, I mean, the director actually um, got... She wrote a uh, Janet Guthrie, who's you know the main character and qualified. Actually, wrote a book. It was an amazing book. So she actually happened to be an amazing writer. Um, and one of my di- the director of the film got a hold of the book. Um, and you know, it's actually out of print. So um, and she just she read it and she just you know called me right away. And she's like, we have to do this. This is an amazing story and she gave Janet Guthrie a call. Um, Janet lives in Aspen. um, And we, you know, I think we flew to Aspen, me and Jenna Rickard, the director, I think about a month after the first phone call just to meet with her. Um, And it sort of went from there. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think as soon as we read the book, we were just like, okay, well, I don't know how we're doing this, but we're doing this. (laughs)
2: Wow. Yeah. It's like when females can come together and put their mind to something, anything can happen. It's great, isn't it? (laughs)
1: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Wow. Well, you also mentioned um, mentors and that you did have mentors to help you through, I guess, your career progression and also some of the challenges you're facing. Um, so in this space of entertainment um, as a producer how are you able to find mentors and anyone listening who's out there what tips can you give them in terms of finding mentorship in other women who are successful and able to maybe guide them to help reach their goals
1: and motivate them as well sure um I you know I usually mentor women um because I usually hire entire teams for, you know, each film I do. Um, so, you know, I obviously hire young women, um, and I, you know, tend to mentor them. So I'll always look to, you know, uh, somebody that's quote unquote above you in your career. That's a woman because that means she's been through the position you're in most likely. Um, and then also I've had people contact me, you know, through my website, um, or through LinkedIn or through whatever, find me online and, and just be like, hey, a young woman, I'm entering the documentary business. Do you mind grabbing a cup of coffee? Which in this current world is not possible, but <laughs> on the phone at least. Um, so, you know, and I always respond to those kinds of inquiries because I feel like it's very important for me to pay it back. Um, I had great mentors um, who, you know, were my bosses um, from my first job on, Um, you know, there was, there were female producers who juggled everything um, successfully, Um, and were also just like very kind and warm and made sure that um, I felt accepted um, into this, in in this, you know, male-oriented world, and so... Um, I made sure I do the same to um, every young woman I hire.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, it's so nice to hear that you're giving back in that way. And I'm sure everyone that does come to you, um, you know, really does thrive with your mentorship as well. And, um, you know, you were nice enough to get back to me when I reached out as well on LinkedIn. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we we appreciate it, all of us, I'm sure. (laughs) Mm Um, But before we do wrap things up, my final question before we do, uh, you know, get into that final, uh, you know, goodbye. um, You know, the best piece of career advice you've ever received, whether it came from a boss, a mentor, manager, if you read it in a book, doesn't matter. What was the best piece of career advice you've ever seen,
1: read or heard? Um, Fake it till you make it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think it really actually applies to a lot of careers and a lot of positions. But, you know, if somebody asks you to do something, um, and you don't quite know how to do it or what it is, or, you know, um, what the next step is, you know, go figure it out on your own, you know, uh, go call people, ask people, Research it on the internet and just educate yourself. Don't just say "I don't know," um, or you know, can you explain it to me? Or you know, just always appear confident um, and just don't let anybody else um, try and find the right words. But don't don't let anybody else um, shatter your confidence because I feel like that's an easy thing to do. Um, so, you know, fake it till you make it and, and be confident.
2: Yeah, for sure. I love that so much. And um, there's actually this quote from Marissa Mayer, who was the CEO of Yahoo. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I might be misquoting this, but it was something like, you know, she always did things that she wasn't always ready to do. And that's yep. how she really attributed growth and being able to take on amazing roles and projects and really make breakthroughs as a woman in a lot of the different industries that she entered into. And I think that quote is very similar to what you're saying, like fake it till you make it. You have to be able to jump in, accept the challenge. And when you do take those challenges on head first, you're able to learn through it. And that's how you're able to take yourself to the next level. And that's extremely important.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you always take jobs, you're supremely qualified for, you're actually underperforming. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know you you should always take a job that's just out of your reach um, because you know you're smart. You you can catch up. It's mm-hmm. it's you know you work a little extra hours at the beginning. You caught you caught up and um, go from there. But yeah, if you if you just take and and keep doing what makes you comfortable, you can't progress forward.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. That's so important. That's something I like to live by as well. Um, Well, Nina, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. I loved hearing everything about The Last Dance, about you being an entertainment as a woman and how you've been able to do so much for yourself. And of course, all the other incredible projects you've worked on as well. Um, So thank you so much for coming on. And before we do go, um, where can people find you on social media um, and also your website as well?
1: Sure. Um, you can just, I think the best thing to do is just go to my website, which is just ninakrstic.com. Um, that's N-I-N-A. And my last name is KRStic.com um, com. And from there, you can actually contact me because uh, my email is on there.
2: Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I will be putting all of it in the show notes, everyone. So if you're looking for it, just go right there and you will find it. But thank you, Nina, so much. It's been so amazing talking to you.
1: My pleasure. It was fun.
2: Thanks everyone for tuning in to Working Gals Guide. If you love today's episode, make sure to go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe. Ratings mean absolutely everything to us, so five stars would be fantastic. If you do have a bit more time, we'd love a written review as well to go along with that five-star review. Um, But either way, everything's great. So thank you so much for tuning in again and stay tuned for next week's episode where we have a very special guest from the show, Big
0: Brother.